Hi, everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to address the police brutality uh, and Black Lives Matter protests that are going on. Uh, we know that normally we kind of stick to fun, sciencey, weird news stories, uh, and we kind of veer away from politics. But what's going on right now is so much bigger than politics. It's life and death for a lot of people. It's incredibly serious. Since we have a platform, Power Small, uh, we thought it was important to speak up and express our support for the protests that are going on. Um, it's important work that's being done by a lot of people. And we hope that you're able to support this cause in whatever way, uh, whether that's protesting yourself or donating or just speaking to your family members about things and confronting them head on when they say things that you don't agree with. Even, even something like that can make a huge difference. So one resource that's proven really useful is an article on Medium. You might have heard of it. It's, if you Google it, you'll find it right away. It's 75 things white people can do for racial justice. It's what it says, <laughs> what it says in the headline. It's 75 things. Scroll through the list, pick out a few. There's a lot of ways that you can help. And a lot of them are pretty, are pretty easy. They're pretty small, but they can make a huge difference. Uh, there are also a lot of organizations that could use your financial support right now. Uh, bail funds, uh, nationwide, if you go to nas the National Bail Fund Network, uh, again, just Google it, you'll find it. It'll direct you to local community bail funds. A lot of people are talking about the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which is a really important organization. They're actually, at this point, no longer accepting donations because they received so much support. Um, they're directing people to donate to local organizations, to the family of George Floyd and other affected uh, families. And there are also larger organizations you can donate to. There's the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, that both do important work. Uh, there's the National uh, Black Lives Matter organization, as well as local uh, chapters of it. All of them could use your support. And with all that said, uh, we still made an episode, and we really appreciate you listening. Uh, but make sure that we're not the only voices that you're listening to this week. Boots. Nodosaur. Rings. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story is space news. This is from Gizmodo. The headline is, More evidence that Mars once had a ring and will again. Whoa. What? I don't think of it as a ringed planet. Yeah, but it has been and it will be. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, it new shall <laughs> and it, it shan. Sh wait, what? Yeah, no, that's not anything. <laughs> New research offers an explanation for the unusual orbit of Mars' moon Deimos, one that bolsters the hypothesis that the red planet periodically features a Saturn-like ring. It's like an explanation about the moons, but also explaining, or part of the explanation about the moon's orbit, orbital pattern, also it, supports that Mars has a ring. I shall explain. So like the orbital patterns are because of the ring and the ring... Is the ring also because of the patterns, or is it just the Yes. <laughs> okay. It's all part of the same thing. <laughs> the circle, <laughs> it's the circle of Mars. Yes, exactly. Um, Mars has two moons, Phobos and Deimos. I'm pretty sure that's how those are pronounced. <laughs> uh -huh. um, in addition to their 
potato-like appearance. Not sure why they needed to specify that. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> Both moons have exceptionally circular orbits aligned above, above Mars's equatorial plane, although Deimos has a slightly altered orbit. As it turns out, this slight two-degree difference is more important than we realized, according to new research presented this week at the 236th meeting of the American Astronomical Society, which was held virtually this year. Hmm. As the new study suggests, Phobos is actually caught in a cycle of death and rebirth that temporarily and periodically results in rings around Mars. Um, The cyclic moon theory, as it's called, is an attempt to figure out how Mars got its two moons. Various theories have attempted and failed to explain how these small misshapen moons ended up in their current orbital configurations. And this is where, like, the specific theory comes in. Um, In a 2017 paper... Uh, the authors pointed out that Phobos is slowly sinking towards Mars, like in the way in the way it's like orbiting, mm-hmm. and eventually, in around seventy million years, <laughs> right around the corner, now, uh, Mars's gravitational tug will be too much to bear, and Phobos will disintegrate, resulting in a new Martian ring. This ring will eventually spawn a brand new, substantially smaller moon. So the theory is that that's already happened in the past. Okay. Um, and according to this article, it's happened between three and seven times over the past 4.3 billion years. <laughs> <laughs> so Phobos basically just keeps disintegrating, forming a ring around Mars, and it has a ring for a while, and then eventually it, that forms into a moon, and then it has a moon. Huh. Isn't that fun? Yeah, that's that's wild. I. <laughs> yeah, so they were able to, I guess they used computer simulations to like, do you know theoretical calculations mm-hmm. and test this out, and then and then they just publish that like, hey, the calculations show that this is plausible, that this is what's happening. That's a possibility. Yeah. And it pr- it showed like that pattern explains the current orbital, like the way that Phobos is orbiting, the way that Deimos is orbiting, and why they're diff- slightly different from each other, or something. It, like so, is, explains it. So Deimos, they think, just is kind of like a regular satellite, in that it's just. I guess it's not yeah. going through this cycle of <laughs> destruction I guess, yeah, and I didn't rebirth. Say that. It, I mean, it kind of went into like some of the technical details of the, the simulations and stuff, which I skipped over. But um, yeah, I think Demos just regular moon. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, why? Why are the uh, orbital patterns this way? And so people have been trying to like kind of investigate that, and this is what they found out. Hmm. So it's not fascinating. Mars is a ringed planet, technically. Technically. Just not right now. Just not right now. But Phobos liked it, and it's going to put a ring on it. <laughs> yes. My first story is animal news. <laughs> this is a weird one. This is from it's from Inverse.com. Uh, <laughs> rare snail makes science history thanks to international hunt for a mate. What? <laughs> It's a snail that was seeking love in internationally all, all over, wow. all over. So this starts off so so fresh and so pure. Jeremy the snail wasn't like most of his fellow gastropods. His name is Jeremy. That's so that's so wonderful. Uh, discovered in 2016 in London, his particularly unique spiraled shell has left a mark on science history. Most garden snail shells spiral towards the right if you look at the center of their shell and follow the outward path. But Jeremy had a shell that spiraled toward the left, which is a highly unusual trait among snails. Scientists wanted to know why and were particularly interested in whether the answer was rooted in snail genes. Uh, in a, not snail pants. Snail. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. The other genes. 
G genes. Uh, in a new study published uh, Tuesday in the journal Biology Letters, geneticists report the answer. This, the left spiraling shell is a quirk of nature, not an inherited trait. Uh, to get to that conclusion, the team had one very difficult task. They had to find Jeremy a girlfriend. Because <laughs> to see whether or not this shell was the result of genetics or chance, Jeremy had to have some babies. <laughs> <laughs> That's just funny phrasing. Okay, But it gets better. <laughs> it gets because better. Of, because of the way snails put their bodies together to procreate, Jeremy's mate also had to have a left spiraling shell in order for everything to, everything to line up correctly. Oh. Um, hmm. and Jer- snails like Jeremy are incredibly rare, literally one in a million. Like this is an incredibly rare trait in snails. So, um, Angus Davison, who is a professor at, of evolutionary genetics at the university of Nottingham, Nottingham, uh, sent out a plea to snail enthusiasts, <laughs> it's a small message board, <laughs> asking for them to get in touch if they discovered a matching snail. Uh, the BBC and PBS both put out messages to find Jeremy a female snail. This is amazing. And the Twitter handle, hashtag snail love, was used to spread the word. <laughs> this is amazing. Isn't it great? Yeah. Um, with the help of the internet, Davison's team was able to round up a handful of potential snail mates and introduce them to Jeremy. Uh, this is, the story takes a sudden turn. Oh. Uh, Jeremy the snail died in 2017. What? Um, but first, he left behind a genetic legacy that sheds light on what made him different from most other snails. Uh, so he ended up having, or the, the snail that he reproduced with ended up having 56 snail babies, a third of which they believe were Jeremy's. I'm not really sure how snail procreation works. Beyond now, I know they have to line up <laughs> properly. <laughs> uh, but with a few exceptions of those of the, that third of the 56, most of the offspring produced by um, the left spiraling snails actually spiraled to the right, which means that having a left spiraling or sinistral shell is an accidental phenomenon rather than a trait that can be inherited. Because if it was an inherited trait, then two left shell snails like, would have, would passed, have it down. passed it down. Yeah. Um, even if it was a recessive gene. Anyway, uh, so Davison said in a statement, we helped solve one of nature's puzzles, which was very satisfying. <laughs> there was also a happy ending for Jeremy, the snail, in finding love and producing offspring, albeit just before dying. Oh my goodness. Did they have to say that? They didn't have to say, you didn't have to say that, to Angus. Say that. Angus Davison. His name's but, Angus Davison? Yeah. It's a pretty, it's a powerful name, but... Uh, it's powerful. <laughs> Just so that's the of tale of Jeremy the Snail. Uh, wow. And his worldly travail to find I, a female and that produce rhymed. a pail of baby snail. That was a lot of rhymes all in a row. That was impressive. Thank you. I just thought of that. <laughs> that was impressive. Thanks. My next story is technology news. This is from popularmechanics.com. The headline is, How Coffee Grounds Can Help Robots Traverse Uneven Terrain. Huh. Yeah. Do they consume? (laughs) (laughs) They consume the coffee and they get energized. It just gives them the energy to go. That's not true. (laughs) Go, go, go. That's not what it is. I'll tell you what it is. Um, (laughs) For a robot, walking on unforgiving surfaces, whether a sandy shoreline or a rocky Martian terrain, is a Herculean task. 
but researchers from University of California, San Diego, discovered that robots can really kick it into high gear <laughs> if you outfit them with a set of special boots. Little, little booties. Robot boots. <laughs> yeah. Roboots. Roboots. We're going to call them roboots. So using latex and coffee grounds, uh, this research team developed flexible feet that allow a robot to move up to 40% more quickly on rough surfaces, including wood chips, pebbles, and hopefully future extraterrestrial surfaces. Um, this seems like it would just be a, re- a really easy thing to figure out. Like, not, I, I don't mean to sound wow, like judgmental totally at all, but, like, <laughs> but I mean, I guess you guys figured I it out. What they did, like, like, was it that hard? It seems like, <laughs> so to create, to create the boots, um, the team, um, it says they turned to nature for some inspiration, but then, like, I don't get that, why that nature was the inspiration. <laughs> they used a latex membrane and then filled it with coffee grounds and then some small structures reminiscent of plant roots. Ah, yes, nature. <laughs> um, and then um, the emphasis on the stuffing was, they actually described a physical concept known as granular jamming, which I learned about reading this, um, which is essentially when a substance can behave as both a solid and a liquid in a space. And I'll try to explain oh. this in my own words, but okay. if you imagine like, okay, this robot has these little like latex things on its feet, right. That mm-hmm. have coffee grounds in it. And when you push down on it, it's just going to like firm up in the, you know, however the ground is like pushing up it, like, into that. It behaves as a solid in that scenario. Yeah. Right. And so it kind of, it compresses it and then it will behave as a solid. But then if it lifts up the foot, it all like falls apart and then it's like kind of like a liquid. Hmm. Apparently that concept is called granular jamming because it's like small particles, I guess. Okay. So yeah, so that's, that's what they wrote about. Um, and they did tests with this, you know, jamming <laughs> the jam robe boots. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And they found that the uh, robot could move, um, 40% faster with these boots on. That's that's a pretty big improvement. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. On, be, on, on uneven terrain. They'll be chasing us down with in no time. <laughs> <laughs> the robotic dogs will be chasing <laughs> us over everything. No. That's what um, we need is for them to be faster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it almost seemed like like the way we were running, but like I, I think that their speed over uneven terrain is so slow that even this forty percent faster is probably yeah. like still slow. Which is like they can actually just like reasonably move over uneven it's, terrain. Yeah, with it's a this. slight saunter now instead of a slow crawl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that was that's still cool. Coffee grounds—they're good for something. I think they actually have right. multiple uses, but they're good for this too. Can't you like compost with them mm-hmm. or something? Yeah, I've never for, done they're that. They're good for but. composting. My next story is dinosaur news. This is from CNET. Western Canadian scientists discover what an armored dinosaur ate for its last meal. Whoa, okay. So what exactly did a 2,900-pound armor-plated dinosaur eat 110 million years ago? Alex, huh? Plants? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it is plants. So. It is plants, so I was, okay, that I, was, was, I was right there. You were right. But, but, but what um, type of plants? That's what we're going to get into. Cool. It's, but it is it's plants. Uh, thanks to <laughs> meticulous work by scientists, we know the answer. Lots of leafy greens. Oh, leafy greens. Uh, a research, and 
spinach and kale? It gets more specific. spinach and kale? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and that's why they are still with us today. Okay. Um, A research research team uncovered the dietary secrets of a fossilized nodosaur, um, which is apparently just a kind of armored dinosaur kind of... I think it falls under the umbrella of ankylosaur, if you've heard of those. Yes. Um, they've got kind of a shell and spikes and a ta- like a mace on their tail, Yes, yep, I know exactly, yep. Um, and its scientific name is Boreolopelta Mark Michelli. <laughs> Why do you always have the really difficult to pronounce stuff lately? <laughs> I do this to myself. It's, it's because because I, I keep bringing dinosaur news, and they oh all, yeah, maybe that's why. Like, I, I yeah. applaud you for that. If, okay. I, the last name, the last part of that name is Mark Mitch, like Mark Mitchelly, Mark Mitchell, I. with an I. Yeah, Mark Mitchell. <laughs> okay, which I find amusing, and yeah. he comes up later. Um, <laughs> the finding. Uh, this is a University of Saskatchewan geologist Jim Bassinger. Uh, who said in a release on Tuesday, the finding of the actual preserved stomach contents from a dinosaur is extraordinarily rare. Uh, unsurprising, given it's all like soft tissue. Right. Uh, and this stomach recovered from the mummified nodosaur by the museum team is by far the best preserved dinosaur stomach ever found to date. Oh, wow. Um, the well-preserved fossilized dino was originally discovered in a mine in Canada in 2011, in 2011 and has been on display at Canada's Royal Tyrell Museum since 2017. It's named for museum technician Mark Mitchell, <laughs> who worked to uncover the fossil from the rock it was found in. Um, and I'll show you a picture of the dinosaur. It's a really cool fossil because it looks like the actual, it's almost like a mud cast of the thing. Hmm. Just the way it was preserved, you can see like a lot of details even in its like external features. Wow. Um, the dinosaur's last meal was mainly fern leaves with a bit of stem and twigs mixed in, um, <laughs> despite the variety of plant species that were available th- at that time. Like they found it was like 80% of this one particular fern and then oh. just like a handful of other things, even though there are like, there's abundance of like diverse plant life at this time in, hmm. uh, in prehistory. So it's apparently kind of a picky eater. Uh, there was also charcoal found in its stomach, which really? suggests that it was browsing in an area where ferns were regrowing after a fire. So a fire, like a forest fire probably occurred oh. and ferns are, they tend to take advantage of that like newly freed up soil and they can yeah. grow really well in those conditions. So it was, it was apparently feeding on that. So hmm. having such a well-preserved stomach, they're able to see all these really That's minute so cool. details. Um, the researchers were even able to make an educated guess of the season of the dinosaur's death. They predicted it was like late spring to midsummer based on the plants that it had eaten. Um, which again, just like not something they can usually tell what the fossilized dinosaur is like, <laughs> like time of death. Um, so yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, wait, I actually, that is, I still don't get how it, why it stayed preserved. I don't understand. So they think that it like died underwater and and sunk into mud. So it was almost it was preserved in that way. Let me find you a picture of it. It it kind of makes it a little more obvious, I think. Mm. Just they have like a graphic or something that shows you. It's almost like a cast of the dinosaur. Like that's that's the fossil, or at least part of it. Okay. You can, I mean, that's its head right there. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and it's pretty so detailed. stunning detail. 
That's incredible. Um, yeah, and I think just the way that it was preserved, it preserved like the the skin and everything. I, not the skin, obviously, but like that was captured in. That's why I think um, they use the word mummified. Like it, right. it mummified in the mud. Mm-hmm. Whoa, which is very unusual because we we just don't usually get that much detail. Yeah. So that's incredible. It's a wow. really cool fossil. Yeah. My next story is entertainment news. This is from CNN, but it's being reported in a lot of places. <laughs> Carol Baskin, oh, whose long-standing feud with Joe Exotic, uh, which was chronicled in the hit Netflix series Tiger King, mm-hmm. has been awarded the zoo once owned by her nemesis. Yes, you heard it here, if you didn't hear it already by the time this releases. <laughs> Carol Baskin now owns... Joe Exotic's property. What is that? Okay. That's so um, strange to me. A judge ruled in favor of Baskin's Big Cat Rescue Corporation on Monday this week in a lawsuit against the Greater Winwood Development Group LLC. The latter company once was owned by Exotic, whose real name is Joseph Allen Maldonado Passage. Wow. I see why he went with Joe Exotic. <laughs> yeah. It's a mouthful. <laughs> um, GWDC must vacate the zoo land premises within 120 days of service of the order. Um, and I guess there's also a requirement that they have to remove all the animals. Oh. According to the order. So I guess like Carol Basco. I have no idea. Oh. And also when I first found, you know, was seeing this, I assumed that she was going like, to still make it a zoo or right. whatever, which she, she rescue, whatever she's calling her right. zoo. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I don't know, like it says that the animals have to be removed, I guess. I don't know what's going to happen strange. with that. Uh, yeah. Um, that was just this article said, I didn't go into like detail about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the judgment also awarded several cabins and vehicles to Baskin as well, which I'm guessing are just stuff that was like on the property. Yeah, and then the rest of the article was just going into like the background of like who these people are, which yeah. I'm just going to assume you probably that you know. know. And if you don't, then it's it's not <laughs> it's worth. It's not knowing. even if, if you don't know. It's this isn't one of those things that's like I'm going to educate you on this. I'm like literally everything I've heard. They're awful people. They're both like, awful people. Yeah, which I hate saying that about people, but but they're they're kind of they're kind of objectively kind of terrible. Like they both took advantage of people. And animals. And animals. Yeah, yeah, the animals. That's got, like, I, yeah, they, they have both taken advantage of people and animals yeah. for their own personal gain. Right. And it is documented in the, that show on video. Yeah. So. It's just, it's frustrating to me because, like, I don't know. <sighs> like. Because you're a good person and you don't really, like people yeah, that take advantage like, of. <laughs> I don't want to just, like, say I'm an animal lover. It's like, hopefully everyone's an animal lover. It just, it's, it. It frustrates me because it gives like zoos that are actually doing like really good conservation work a bad name when like private yeah. citizens who don't know what they're doing are keeping exotic animals like this and like it just it they end up falling into the category of zoo and like zoos should like are bad or whatever and it's like and a lot of zoos do really really important work cons- like conserving the habitats of these animals and like right. the animals that they take in are like wouldn't have survived in the wild and that kind of thing so right. They're like they're almost like like they actually are like rehabilitation yeah. centers for animals. Whereas this is just people, selfish, greedy people collecting rare animals. Yeah, f- from the wild. Like it's 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 completely different. It's 
horrible and it makes me very upset yeah so anyway anyway, the moral of the story is that she still got rewarded she's still somehow the story is continuing the drama is continuing if you want a season two of tiger king you might get one that's all i'm gonna say i don't know there's more there's more stuff happening in that and hopefully it covers them like losing all of this and just i don't know the animals going somewhere better Huh. Yeah, I hope the animals go somewhere better, hopefully. But I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm sure yeah. there will be more. You know, this is a very hot topic in the entertainment world right now. So it's like, right. Yeah. My next story is Space News. This is also from CNET, I am realizing right now. Uh, the headline is, How to Watch the Strawberry Moon Eclipse from Anywhere on Friday. What is a strawberry moon eclipse? That sounds like something I can order at Dairy Queen. <laughs> Oh man! Now I want now I want a strawberry moon eclipse. Doesn't that Whatever sound like something is. you could order at an ice cream shop? It didn't before, but it sure does now. <laughs> oh man, that sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it sounds so good. I don't even know what it this is. This is going to be disappointing after that. Uh, a full strawberry moon arrives on Friday, and it will come with an understated partial eclipse for some parts of the world. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're not one of them. Oh. Uh, while the moon will be at its absolute fullest on Friday around, so the day this is coming out, around noon Pacific time, it will still look full from early Thursday morning through early uh, Sunday morning, according to NASA, in a release on Monday. Like, the duh, it's a full moon. That's how the moon works. It's going to be full for a few days. Anyway, uh, (laughs) (laughs) the more interesting part is the eclipse that's going to happen. Well, partial eclipse. Uh, North America will miss it, but the Virtual Telescope Project, uh, is, which is some organization, uh, will live stream the lunar event from Italy above a view of the Rome skyline. Um, that's going to be that's linked in the article that we'll include in the show notes. Uh, a penumbral eclipse is much more subtle than a total eclipse. Uh, the moon slips through the Earth's outer or uh, penumbral shadow, mm-hmm. which can trigger a slight darkening of the moon, which makes it look a little bit pink. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't know that it was happening, you might miss it. <laughs> a partial <laughs> penumbral eclipse like the one on Friday makes it even harder to spot a difference. So this ah. is like, it's a real subtle one. Yeah. Um, so we're not missing a ton, but it is probably still going to look really cool for the places that do get to witness it. Cool. Um, the strawberry nickname for the June full moon doesn't actually refer to the color. Um, it seems to be an old reference to the strawberry harvest season when, when this probably was spotted by farmers. Uh, NASA's Gordon Johnston also provided a list of other names that this kind of moon has been called in the past, including a mead moon, a honeymoon, a hot moon, which is my favorite. <laughs> a hot moon. <laughs> and, I like that one. And uh, a planting moon. They should have ended nah. with hot moon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hot moon is very good. <laughs> That's the best one. So, yeah, there's going to be a live stream of it, so you can actually oh. watch it. Or not, And I'm sure there will be a lot of really gorgeous photos of it, too. Yeah. Um, after it occurs. Um, but Yay. either way. Nice full moon this That's weekend. Fun. So look forward to that. Yeah, now that like the weather has cleared up a little bit, if the moon is like really pretty, you can actually like see it at night now. Yeah. It's just like nice. Yeah. I love how it lights it up. Mm-hmm. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look for stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Row boots. <laughs> Ready, set, go! go! Okay. 
Okay, I found this on UPI. And the headline is Stuffed Animals Ride San Diego Roller Coaster Amid COVID-19. And all it is is just the uh, theme park in San Diego um, has one of their roller coasters. They have to run it every day to keep it in good, like, working mm-hmm. conditions. And that since the park is closed down and no one can be there, they decided to fill the coaster with the <laughs> stuffed animals, like those giant, like, plush teddy bears and stuff. Like the one you win at the ring house yeah. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just this roller coaster full of stuffed animals constantly <laughs> riding the roller coaster all day. And there's a video of it. And that's, it's cute. That's delightful. And that's the whole story. That's fine. That's all I needed. <laughs> and we'll give you the link so you can go watch a cute video of stuffed animals in a roller coaster. Yeah. Right. I found this on UPI. Uh, ring found in package of beans returned to grocery store worker. Like a jewelry a pa- ring. Oh. In a package of beans? A package of beans. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess... <laughs> They didn't explain how it got in there in the first place. How did it get in there? I'm I'm guessing it wasn't a sealed package. Yeah, it it couldn't have been. They like bagged them and then like it slipped in while they were bagging. Maybe like one of those things where it's like a free like a scoop of beans or something, and somebody scooped for them and it fell in there or something. Loose beans. Um, (laughs) So a gold ring found in a package of beans was returned to its owner after taking a journey of nearly 125 miles. Oh, Uh, it's a woman in uh, Queensland in Australia. She bought the package of fresh green beans at a at a fruit market. Oh, it was green market. beans. That makes more sense. Okay, a green beans. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't. I was clarify. thinking like kidney there's a, there's beans. There's like a or giant picture of green like, beans at the top of the article, so that was just like duh, green beans. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so she had just she was just visiting the town as well, so that's why it ended up going so far. Oh, okay. Um, and then she ended up finding a golden ring at the bottom of the bag. Uh, at first, she thought it was one of hers, but she realized there was an inscription on it that, like, it wasn't. Mm. Um, <laughs> I like this quote from her. It was just lucky that I liked the beans so much that I ripped the bag right open instead of just opening it the normal way, as I definitely wouldn't have seen it if I did that. Oh. I guess she just, like, tore into the bag of green beans. <laughs> green um, beans. I'm just glad I ate them all straight away and came across the ring <laughs> and it didn't get thrown out. I mean, I guess if she had just, like, taken yeah, some I'm beans sure. out, she... she might not have noticed yeah. the ring. Um, so, hey. Uh, Good so that she noticed it. She contacted the store and learned that an employee had been looking for the ring. It was actually an 18th birthday gift from his mom and was inscribed with the words, my life. Aww. Which is so sweet. That's so nice. Um, and it was the first time that he had worn it to work. <gasps> and he didn't notice it was gone until like after, after like a certain amount of time. He was, and he was searching pretty desperately for it. And so she found it and returned Aww. it to him. And I thought that was a really nice story. That is really nice. So heartwarming. Yeah. I like that. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your news. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews and on Twitter at at knickknacknews. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.